Chapter Five of Some American Storytellers by Frederick Tabor Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Five, Ellen Glasgow. In glancing backward over the twelve or fifteen years during which Miss Ellen Glasgow has been practicing her careful, deliberate, finally conceived art, and patiently striving not without an occasional blunder toward her present mastery of technique, one feels that, all things considered, she has not yet had in full measure the generous, widespread, and serious recognition to which she is entitled. Some of her volumes, to be sure, have enjoyed an encouraging popularity, and in many quarters she has had cordial critical appreciation and yet at best it seems distinctly disproportioned to a talent which stands in the forefront of american women novelists outranking on the one side mrs atherton as far as it outranks mrs wharton on the other a talent which sees life if not more deeply than the author of the house of mirth at least through a far wider angle a talent which replaces the riotous unrestraint of the author of ancestors with that greater strength of logical purpose and symmetry of form now in order to make clear the sound critical ground for assigning so high a place to the author of the deliverance and the miller of old church it seems not merely worth while but even obligatory to examine rather carefully her understanding and her use of the technique of form miss glasgow's creed in fiction is obviously that of the realists although her adherence to it is not so rigid as to preclude her from the occasional excursion into romanticism her novels are not only realistic but like the novels of frank norris robert herrick and david graham phillips they are in the best sense of the term zolaesque that is to say they have an epic sweep and comprehension an epic sense of the surge of life and the clash of multitudinous interests this particular type of novel is so seldom successfully achieved in english that although there has been occasion to speak of it more than once already in the present volume it seems desirable even at the risk of repetition to call to mind once more just what are its characteristic features the epic novel like the epic poem must have a twofold theme a specific human story and a big general problem the wrath of achilles and the trojan war the expulsion from eden and the fall of man the fate of uncle tom and the whole problem of slavery and the very essence of this epic quality lies in the ability to tell the specific central human story and hold and stir you with the pathos and the tragedy of it and yet all the while keep before you the realization that this specific story is only an isolated case of a general and widespread condition that achilles brooding in his tent is only a symbol of the pervading wrath and sorrow and desolation begotten by war that the empty cabin of uncle tom is only a symbol of the cruelty the broken ties the inhumanity attendant upon slavery it is a curious fact that mrs stowe probably without any conscious understanding of technique produced an almost perfect epic novel according to principles that were destined to be formulated fully half a century later and it is equally curious that the first american woman since mrs stowe to succeed in writing a genuine epic novel should also have chosen a similar setting and a similar theme to state the case more correctly it is curious that the first woman among our modern writers to achieve this type of novel should have happened to be a southern woman because since miss glasgow happens by birth and education to have a knowledge of virginian scenes and people beyond that of other parts of the world she has simply been obeying the most elementary principle of good technique when she chooses for her setting the region that she knows best while such a volume as the wheel of life in which the scene is laid in new york is to be classed in spite of much that is good among the number of the author's blunders 
one feels in this new york story as though miss glasgow were slightly out of her element as though she lacked sympathy even for the best of the characters in it and frankly disapproved of the others it is even more difficult for a woman than for a man to attain the attitude of strict impersonality which is demanded by the highest rules of modern construction and herein one feels lies one of miss glasgow's failings she could not if she would help showing us her heart goes out to certain favourite characters young and old white and black alike nor would we have it otherwise because in her affection for these people whom she understands so profoundly lies the secret of the abiding charm which they in turn possess for us human stories strong tender high-minded her volumes undeniably are but what one remembers about them even after the specific story has faded from the mind is their atmosphere of old-fashioned southern courtesy and hospitality of gentle breeding and steadfast adherence to traditional standards of honour she has dealt with special skill with the anomalous and transitory conditions of society that followed the close of the war the breaking down of old barriers the fruitless resistance of conservatism to the new tendencies of social equality the frequent pathetic struggles to keep up a brave show in spite of fallen fortunes the proud dignity that accepts poverty and hardship and manual labour with unbroken spirit such books as the battleground the deliverance the voice of the people are in the best sense of the term novels of manners which will be read by later generations with a curious interest because they will preserve a record of social conditions that are changing and passing away more slowly yet quite as relentlessly as the dissolving vapours of a summer sunset in order however to understand on the one hand just how she uses her technique and on the other how she succeeds in giving such poignant reality to her people and her scenes it is necessary to examine in somewhat more detail at least a portion of her books and the battleground as one of her earlier works and also one that reaches back historically to the time of the civil war forms a convenient starting-point it is besides one of the most obvious instances of miss glasgow's characteristic method of epic structure in the first place it deals with the wide general theme suggested by the title and in this wider sense the central figure is not a person but a state the state of virginia and the story is the story of that state before during and immediately after the four years of devastating struggle but more specifically the battleground is the intimate history of one southern family the lightfoots or rather of one member of that family dan montjoy whose mother old major lightfoot's only daughter had made a runaway match with a hot-headed mean-natured scamp who caused her a brief misery and an early death dan montjoy comes naturally by his hot temper but for the most part he is a true lightfoot and the idol of his grandfather's old age but there comes a day when youthful impetuosity leads dan into certain foolish escapades that his grandfather takes too seriously angry unforgettable words are exchanged and the young man goes forth penniless to fight his way in the world alone leaving home friends and the girl he loves what he might have made of himself under other conditions is a question that miss glasgow does not even touch upon but it happens that this quarrel occurs on the eve of the civil war dan's secession from the family circle coincides with the south's withdrawal from the union and so throughout the rest of this powerful war novel we see a double struggle waged upon a double battleground the struggle of a family of federal states at war with each other and the struggle of a human being for independence of the ties of blood and in the end when the south as a whole is brought to accept defeat dan has learned still another and more personal lesson 
and returns once more wiser and happier with the sober happiness of maturity to those at home who have never ceased to hope for his coming similarly in the deliverance there is a double significance of title and of plot after the battle comes the vultures says a union soldier in the battleground and in a broad general way the deliverance may be said to symbolize the sufferings of the south in the years immediately following the war when so many of those who had constituted the wealth and pride and aristocracy of the country saw their remaining possessions wrested from them by corruption and by fraud christopher blake is only a single instance of this widespread injustice and robbery he has seen his father die broken in body and in mind has seen the magnificent estate that had been for two centuries the property of the blakes sold at auction and bought in for a beggarly sum by bill fletcher his father's former overseer nothing can be done in a legal way for fletcher has been careful to see that all documents and account books that might serve as evidence against him were destroyed by fire christopher a mere boy with a crippled mother and two sisters on his hands finds himself turned adrift with no refuge save the overseer's former cabin and a few acres of tobacco fields down in one corner of the estate which should have been his own the mother paralyzed and blind is transferred all unaware of the change one day when she is being carried out for her accustomed airing knowing nothing of the fall of the confederacy of the death of lincoln of the freedom of the slaves she lives on in a world of her own imaginings nurtured on an elaborate tissue of lies daily issuing orders to an army of slaves which no longer exists and delicately partaking of broiled chicken and sipping rare old port while her son and daughters exist painfully on hoe-cake and fat bacon such is the tragic and impressive symbolism by which miss glasgow pictures to us the contrast between the hopes and the humiliations of the south and in the story of the blakes we see not merely a single family tragedy but behind it an entire country given over to desolation with countless estates passing into unworthy hands countless impoverished families taking up unaccustomed burdens and cherishing in their hearts a mortal bitterness because of the dead dream of the confederacy that refuses to be forgotten but in the case of christopher blake there is another and more specific story as a boy his first mad impulse after being turned from his home was to murder fletcher but the impulse once checked has turned to a smouldering hatred a fixed and secret determination for revenge fletcher has two grandchildren a girl and a boy the girl maria marries and goes abroad before christopher has had time to determine whether his feeling for her is hatred or love toward the boy will he has but one feeling and that is a steadfast longing to use him as an instrument of vengeance the boy is the one living thing that old fletcher loves therefore by making him a liar a coward and a drunkard christopher feels that he is paying back with interest the wrongs the blakes have suffered he never once realizes the unworthiness of his own conduct until maria after some years of marriage and widowhood returns home and they meet once more and realize the feeling they had cherished as boy and girl needs only a word to make it flame into love and not hatred but christopher has himself done a vulture's deed in accomplishing the ruin of maria's brother and when the lad in a drunken frenzy kills his grandfather christopher realizing his own moral responsibility aids the other to escape and gives himself up as the murderer deliverance finally comes so the book seems to preach deliverance of the land from vultures like old fletcher deliverance of men like christopher from the curse of their own mad deeds but neither the one nor the other may be hurried they come only with patience in the fullness of time 
there are two other volumes by miss glasgow separated by an interval of nearly a decade which nevertheless deserve to be analyzed together because of the interesting contrast they afford the voice of the people and the romance of a plain man throughout all of her books one notices a theme to which miss glasgow reverts again and again with never flagging interest and that is the theme of unequal marriages under the changed conditions of the reconstruction period it was inevitable that the old distinctions of race and breeding the old prejudices against honest toil and industry should be to some extent modified and that the daughters of impoverished families should not in all cases think that they were stooping if they wedded brave and honourable men whose fathers perhaps had been mere plain tillers of the soil this problem in its various aspects miss glasgow has approached over and over again but it is only in the two books now under discussion and to some extent in her latest and maturest volume the miller of old church that she has frankly made it the central theme far apart as they are in other respects since the voice of the people is not without crudities of construction while the romance of a plain man is with one exception miss glasgow's finest achievement the two books offer a curious parallel of plot for very nearly the first half of their development nicholas burr and ben starr are both small barefoot not over-clean boys when they first meet in the one case eugenia battle in the other sally mickleborough spick and span and freshly starched and in each case the small girl makes the small boy exceedingly uncomfortable by declaring that she cannot play with him because he is common in each case the childish insult fires a latent ambition nicholas burr confides to kindly old judge bassett his secret hope of some day becoming a judge and ben starr similarly owns to general bolingbroke who happens to be the president of the great south midland and atlantic railroad his own determination to work his way up eventually to the presidency of that same road in each case the boy's ambition both amuses and pleases the busy man and in each case the boy's education is cared for his way made smooth and the first steps toward his ultimate goal are guided by a wise and protecting hand and in the later book sally mickleborough is brought to acknowledge precisely as eugenia battle acknowledges in the earlier that common was a mistaken and an unjust word and that she is glad and proud to give her heart and hand to the man who has already achieved so much for her sake but here the two books part company in each of them the pride of the girl's family forms an almost insurmountable barrier in each of them there is another man who by birth fortune and education seems expressly designed for the girl's husband in the earlier book miss glasgow decides that between nick burr and eugenia battle there is too great a gulf ever to be bridged over even by love a stray scrap of scandal touching him too hastily believed in by her estranges them permanently she marries the man in her own class while he goes on doggedly climbing the rungs of the political ladder to his final goal as governor of the state the voice of the people through the ballot has given him his political ambition the voice of the people through the tongue of scandal robbed him of married happiness the voice of the people through the mad frenzy of a mob bent upon lynching a negro whom he as governor has sworn to give a fair trial robs him of his life and the woman lives on in a marriage that has brought neither joy nor sorrow finding her only real emotion in the cares of motherhood the romance of a plain man is a book as much bigger and stronger as a decade of steady growth can well make it to begin with 
miss glasgow has realized that such a story concerning itself mainly with the inward growth of a man's character has everything to gain and nothing to lose by being seen through the man's eyes therefore she tells it in the first person secondly she realizes that when two people care for each other with the fierce unreasoning passion either of nick and eugenia or of ben and sally they are not likely to let either small obstacles or great ones come between them that they will brush aside entreaties warnings and commands and take their chances of being either supremely happy or utterly miserable in the marriage of ben starr and sally mickleborough the author if we rightly understand her wishes to show how difficult it is for a man sprung from a humble and rather vulgar source to understand the finer feelings of those more gently born for sally's sake ben starr wants wealth and education and power and for her sake he wins them rapidly surely and with apparent ease he wants them first to prove that he is not common and afterward having won her in defiance of her family and her social world he continues to strive for more money more power more positions of trust always with a fixed idea that they will bring her greater happiness and here is where he makes his one great mistake that almost wrecks their married life in mid-course he does not realize that his absorption in the big game of finance leaves him little time even to think of his wife and none at all to place at her service because the obvious difference between himself and the men in sally's own class is money and position and education he makes the natural mistake of thinking that the attainment and possession of these things is in itself the key to social equality the one thing essential to his happiness and hers and the last and most important lesson in his whole course of self-education he is slow in learning that the essential thing does not lie in these achievements but behind them it lies in a man's power to mould his own character until he is capable of attaining his goal it is not a bank account nor a directorship in a railway nor social recognition nor a knowledge of the odes of horace that in themselves win and hold the love of a woman like sally mickleborough but without the energy and persistence to compass these things ben starr would not have been the kind of man to win her but having once won her though he should lose his money forget his latin find himself under a social cloud she is the sort of woman who will cling all the more loyally and with feminine illogic to be the happier for serving him this lesson ben starr might have learned early in their married life during temporary reverses when for some weeks sally is slowly nursing him back to health after a desperate illness and incidentally earning their daily bread with her own frail unaccustomed hands had he been less of a plain man and gifted with a little more subtlety he would have seen that for these few weeks they were nearer to true happiness than at any time before but as a matter of fact he does not see but goes on toiling amassing reaching out for more power more fame and year by year approaching his boyhood's ambition the presidency of the great south midland and atlantic railroad and at last it is only under the stress of a great sorrow and a greater fear only when he sees his wife's life trembling in the balance that this essentially plain man receives enlightenment and realizes that the path to happiness may lie through the deliberate sacrifice of a lifelong ambition such in brief is the substance of the romance of a plain man which at the time of its publication two years ago was easily miss glasgow's most thoughtful most mature and altogether biggest novel it is a peculiarly american novel since it symbolizes with a subtlety that is essentially feminine and a force that is almost virile the practical limitations of the doctrine that all men are born free and equal it was quite natural that in reading it one should say 
in this book miss glasgow has come to full maturity she may give us many other volumes worthy of a place beside it but surely nothing better or stronger but in the miller of old church she has climbed to a still higher level because never before has she succeeded in being at once so pre-eminently local and so universal in her appeal old church deserves to become one of those historic landmarks in fiction with a physiognomy and an individuality as unmistakable as george eliot's st ogg's and thomas hardy's wessex yet the underlying problem while presenting a certain surface newness is in reality not peculiar to old church or to virginia or to the new south but is as old as civilization itself it is new to this extent only that the specific conditions which determined its episodes are of recent origin forming a definite stage in the slow transition in southern social and economic life that began with the reconstruction period and is not yet ended but in its essence miss glasgow's theme is nothing more nor less than that of the universal and inevitable struggle of the lower classes to rise and the jealousy of caste that would hold them back if it could and it is precisely the universality of the theme studied under vividly local conditions that gives to the book a large degree of its vitality and strength the central human story of the miller of old church has to do with the complex fortunes of molly merriweather the illegitimate daughter of janet merriweather and jonathan gay both of whom have been dead many years before the opening of the story janet merriweather belonged to that humble and despised division of the white race in the south which even the negroes felt at liberty to look down upon before the war one hardly ever heard of that class it was so humble and unpresuming jonathan gay on the contrary was of the aristocracy the gays of jordan's journey were easily the dominant social power of the neighbourhood at heart jonathan sincerely loved janet he had meant to deal with her honestly and he would have been glad to make reparation by marrying her but it was at this crucial time that angela gay jonathan's widowed sister-in-law came to make her home with him now angela was one of those frail ephemeral flower-like women who keep their family friends and medical adviser in a state of chronic anxiety and tyrannize over the home circle with a strength born of their weakness in fact it was tacitly understood that angela was not long for this world and that everything and everybody must be sacrificed in order to spare her agitation and guard against a strain upon her dangerously fluttering heart in a vague way angela knew about jonathan's irregularities of life but according to the standards of her station and her epoch there were matters which a woman of refinement could not allow to be mentioned in her presence it was part of her sweetness that she never faced an unpleasant fact until it was literally thrust upon her notice consequently when jonathan tried gently to break to her the idea that he was half inclined to marry janet angela made it plain to him that for a gay so to demean himself would be equivalent to a death-blow to her janet's shame insanity and early death distressed angela in a vague way but marriage would have been something a thousand times worse a stupendous unimaginable calamity so jonathan not dreaming that angela would outlive him contented himself with leaving a secret bequest and a paper acknowledging molly as his daughter all of which was to be made public only when the girl should reach the age of twenty-one he did not foresee that the belated revelation would fall all the more heavily because of the delay upon the fragile woman to whom he had sacrificed his own happiness now at the opening of the story all this is ancient history molly is on the threshold of womanhood she has ripened into great beauty and is eagerly sought after by the young men of the new order the order as one character phrases it 
that is rapidly forging to the surface and pushing us dilapidated aristocrats out of the way but by no one more eagerly than by abel revercombe the miller of old church now it happens that jonathan gay the younger angela's only son after long years of absence in the north at last comes to jordan's journey to see for himself how she can stand it almost the first person he meets is molly and her beauty and tragic history kindle so quick an interest that ancient wrongs seem to have a prospect of being at last set right and so they might have been in spite of molly's avowed hatred of men but for the fatal circumstance that before meeting molly he had lost his way while taking a short cut across lots had been set on his right path again by blossom revercombe and learned that not his philosophy but the little brown mole on a woman's cheek stood for destiny jonathan is a true gay by nature and a gay will go on ogling the sex as long as he is able to totter back from the edge of the grave all the time that he is openly paying court to molly merriweather and goading the miller into sullen jealousy he is secretly meeting blossom revercombe the miller's sister and the old-time tragedy bids fair to be re-enacted there has been an ancient feud between the gays and the revercombes in fact it is current gossip that the shot which killed the elder jonathan ten years earlier was fired by uncle abner revercombe who had never been quite sound in mind since the old days when the sweetheart of his youth janet merriweather was lost to him and when he learns of the clandestine meetings between his niece and the younger jonathan he takes the law once more into his own hands and by the death of another gay squares a long-standing account so much of the bare plot of the miller of old church it has seemed necessary to tell in detail in order to understand the symbolic meaning behind it of the subordinate stories the secondary interests the complex interwoven threads that make this volume a richly embroidered piece of living tapestry it is impossible to take notice here without risk of blurring outlines and confusing motives it seems almost a pity that it is necessary to lay such special stress upon the bare skeleton of a book which considered as a human story rather than an ethical problem finds its main interest less in the sheer narrative than in the atmosphere of a unique locality and the intimate concerns of a group of people whom we grow to love in a very personal way on account of their sterling merits or rare whimsicalities but it was necessary to get the bare framework of the book clearly in mind and for the following reason without so doing we could not understand the masterly way in which miss glasgow has here once again employed the epic method in the broadest sense this book is not so much the history of molly merriweather as it is the story of the new south the various factors that tend either to hasten or retard development are personified one by one in the several characters of this little local drama in angela for instance we have the incarnate spirit of the old-time southern aristocracy with its pride and its traditions sorely stricken since the war moribund yet still clinging to life with the amazing tenacity of chronic invalidism in the older jonathan we have the bygone type of the reckless devil-may-care hot-blooded southerner who at any cost would maintain his family standards and traditions and in the younger jonathan and abel revercombe we have respectively the new dignity of labour and the new and broader tolerance of gentle breeding and lastly if we read miss glasgow's purpose rightly we have in molly merriweather herself the future solution of the social problem in her origin and in her character molly represents a mixture of two natures a compromise between the upper class and the lower combining the better qualities of each furthermore 
she typifies a social intermingling which a generation earlier was not to be thought of but which to-day owing to changed conditions has come more and more to be tolerated in other words the stigma of the girl's illegitimacy stands as a symbol of the social ostracism of the poorer whites even for many years after the war and her belated recognition by her father's people in consequence of his posthumous acknowledgment of her symbolizes the reluctance with which the social barriers begin to yield and even molly's marriage has its deeper hidden significance even had jonathan lived she would not have married him the representative of an effete social code she would inevitably have taken the man whom she did take the sturdy miller of old church because the younger society of the new south is destined more and more to recruit itself from the vigorous ranks of the rising democracy such at least is what miss glasgow seems to have set herself to say and in this it is not easy for the reader to misunderstand her for she has said it with a courage a clearness and a strength of conviction that make it easily her best book her wisest book the book that amply justifies the most sanguine prophecies of those who have had an abiding faith in her End of chapter 5